Welcome to the MacPFD Spark Podcast. This podcast is meant to inspire you to take the next step in your development journey as a faculty member. We're really excited to bring you all sorts of content, from inspiring you to teach or supervise differently, to leading and managing your team, to thinking about new creative ways or humanistic ways to actually do your work, and finally, to up your game in your scholarly practice. Are you excited yet? I certainly am. So sit back, listen, and enjoy this latest episode of the MacPFD Spark Podcast. In this episode, we listen to Matthew Hain talk about spiritual care. He discusses topics such as healthcare spirituality, a day in the life of a healthcare spiritual care practitioner, and how practitioners can use unique methods to treat their patients. We hope you enjoy. Welcome, Matthew. Thank you for joining me today. Hey, Ruth. It's nice to be with you. To provide a bit of background for our listeners, what is a spiritual care team and what is your role in the VCH system? Yeah, it's a good question. So most of us throughout Canada are called spiritual care practitioners, but it's essentially a clergy person who provides spiritual religious and emotional support to people within institutions. And then we have a psycho-spiritual therapist stream. Uh, Right now, most of our spiritual care practitioners are tied in with our association. Our association is called the Canadian Association for Spiritual Care. What you do in hospice care is very different than what you do in uh, acute care or critical care. Clinical pastoral education has been around for about 100 years. Uh, We're now teaching Buddhist interns. We're teaching Hindu interns. We're teaching Islamic interns. And we have all sorts of spiritual care practitioners. And CPE has evolved to be an education to provide a, a system of understanding the human spirit across denominations, whether faith or no faith. So when a, a nurse calls me just today and they asked for a referral, they said, hey, do you see every faith tradition or is it just the one according to your background? The answer is that it, every spiritual health practitioner comes from their own spiritual tradition. We have a department called spiritual care, and that's things I do, and multi-faith services. And the multi-faith services are our connections to the local community where we draw in Catholic priests. We draw in Islamic imams. We draw in different various traditions, different Buddhist traditions, any tradition we can get a hold of that's formally religious. And we invite them to come to the hospital and provide that religious care directly to the patients. So what is a spiritual health care team? It's pretty mixed. It's mostly spiritual care practitioners who have a specific spiritual tradition that they come from, who go through training to provide human care to everybody and uh, who work alongside uh, denominational clergy, which is the multi-faith services aspect of our department. And most uh, departments, most spiritual care teams work in this kind of way. And the other thing to note is that the identity of the spiritual care practitioner is a hybrid. Uh, It's not completely therapy, and it's not completely priesthood. It's a mix of pastoral and religious and spiritual with the psychotherapeutic, clinical, even social work, we have those, those kind of influences, but we would never claim that we could do what a music therapist could do or an occupational therapist or a social worker. 
our specific training and education is within a, a particular field, and we utilize a certain model for that. Is there a particular model of care that you find you use or that you defer to in your own practice? Yeah, so I think that part of the problem is that spirituality tends to be something so big that no healthcare professional can avoid the interaction with it within their work. The other problem is that you will assume that spiritual health practitioners do something that is uniquely spiritual that perhaps other healthcare practitioners don't do. So uh, the first part is what kinds of models of care are there in the healthcare system? The obvious ones are the biomedical model that privilege how the human body works. And that's where we're going to bring our attention to. If I was a patient, I would definitely want that model to be included. I don't want that model to be out. Uh, I want to know what's going on with my human body. And can someone address that competently? Another model is a social model. A social model utilizes interprofessional relationships, intimacy, kindness, networking, systems of care, government systems of care. A social model is also very important because we're relational beings. A blend is the psychosocial spiritual model. And this framework is pretty broad and we've implemented it into our policies so that everybody has that kind of space. You've got people focused on the physical. You've got people who are emphasizing the psychological and bringing in the mental health resources. You've got the social aspect included in there, and then you've got the spiritual. There's also ecological models, the idea of conservation of resources and justice and so forth. And then I would argue that there is a fourth model, a fourth way, and that is an actual spiritual model. And the spiritual model, it's nested within a really new area of research called healthcare spirituality. Healthcare spirituality is not the same as religious spirituality. It's not the same as your own private individual spirituality. This is a type of spirituality that emerges within the context of healthcare professionals, patients, residents, persons in care, and within a situation, a mission of caring for the human person. And the truth is, um, mind and body, holistic nursing, spirituality, these themes are all tied together. They're all, they're all specific and unique and nuanced in their own ways. Healthcare spirituality being nested within this 30, 40-year-old discipline of spirituality and healthcare tends to be a rather thin discipline rather than a deep one because it's mostly written, it tends to be written more by physicians, psychiatrists, nurses. And if you look at the literature, it tends to lack input from philosophers, theologians, and those outside of other disciplines. So it needs more time. But this is the cool thing. Mm -hmm. It's an actual thing. Healthcare spirituality is a thing that's been around for centuries. And in the last 40 years, it's an actual empirical research academic topic that uh, people are continuing to invest in today. So maybe at some point we could talk about what is the difference between what a spiritual care practitioner does and then how does a healthcare professional in any field, whether you're occupational therapist, social worker, whatever, how do you practice healthcare spirituality in a way that works for everybody? There is a healthcare, there is this thing in healthcare called healthcare spirituality and healthcare professionals touch it or they implement it or they use it or they're in it. However way you phrase that, we are all interacting with some definition of spirituality within healthcare. It's a bit of a provocative notion because not everyone identifies as spiritual and, and people will misunderstand that and they will think I'm saying 
everyone's religious. Right. That's not exactly what I'm saying either. So it's uh, my experience in the last 10 years of doing spiritual care practice. Unfortunately, there is still a lot of stigma, a lot of misunderstanding about what spirituality means or what a religious person does or feels or believes. And yeah, I think that within this conversation, there are those two elements revealing themselves. There's the level at which Okay, just tell me, what do you do as a spiritual care practitioner? And then there's the other level, which is what does it mean that there's a healthcare spirituality and how is that influencing my work? And do I see that like you see that? And Tell me a little bit more about the a day in the life of a spiritual care practitioner. Sure, absolutely. So I mentioned a little bit about our education. So I'm actually an ordained minister. Uh, through a Christian denomination. And not all of our spiritual care practitioners are that. Uh, I found that it has been useful at certain times when people need, because there's a bit of a social contract element. So when you're a spiritual care practitioner, it's not the same as being in a religious community. It's totally reversed. Like for, for me, I come to the unit and it's a it's a respect for where people are actually at. And if they want to invest some authority into us and they want to give us some power to speak to a situation or to listen or to be present, we leap at the opportunity. But we remain open and uh, we we try to be present in a way that people feel a certain amount of relationship with us. We don't ever assume that we just have authority with people. So that's what I mean by the social kind of a social contract. I Mm -hmm. start by respecting. And if there's some kind of interest or some kind of opening and we, and we work hard, we, we do our best to stay close to a team. So speaking about teams. Mm -hmm. So when I come to a team, my first question is what kind of team is this? Is this a multidisciplinary team or an interdisciplinary team? And from what I've read and from what I've seen, a multidisciplinary team tends to have a parachute mentality. People drop in, they drop out, and that could be just for logistic reasons. There's just such a high turnover rate of staff, for instance. And it also tends to put the values of hierarchy and expertise on the physician, and then the team follows suit with what the doctor wants to do. Sometimes that is all you can do because of logistical reasons, as I mentioned. But the idea is that you want an interdisciplinary team. And that's where the responsibility to make decisions, healthcare decisions, discharge planning, and so on, is spread out between all the other uh, members. And that authority, that power is shared between people in a more, I guess you could say, in a more egalitarian way. If it's an interdisciplinary team, then I'm asking, well, what phase of this team, what phase of growth are they in? Are they in the authority and power phase? Are they in the intimacy phase? Or are they in the play and interdisciplinary phase? I love that interdependent phase, but it's it's not realistic. Uh, a lot of teams shift and move. They go back and forth. You have someone go on a maternity leave. You have somebody who gets promoted and so they leave. But the potential for an interdisciplinary team to really get into that workflow is really exciting. Then I start thinking, okay, what kind of team is this? What am I a part of? Because typically spiritual care practitioners are not program-based, they're department-based. And that means we tend to jump around from program to program. We'll go into the mental health center, we'll go into palliative care, we'll go into uh, rehab, we'll go into critical care, we'll go into long-term care all in the same day. Right. So we'll move around, which is kind of like a, a speech language pathologist. It's kind of like uh, a respiratory therapist, for instance. So uh, they, they will have a scope of practice that's kind of wide and they're yes. addressing multiple areas. I am a lot more active in groups. I immediately 
find ways to share that I'm here. This is who I am. This is my role. I provide a lot of education. And then I begin encouraging staff to do spiritual screening, to mm. screen for spiritual need. And so on a practical level, there's three clinical levels of inquiry. There's screening, history, and assessment. Screening, any staff member can do. And we recommend it. But a lot of staff don't. Staff are afraid of being sued for asking about anything regarding spirituality of the patient. You can always ask, is spirituality or religion important to you? And the person can say yes or no. And it may or may not mean a referral to spiritual care. It just means it's information. The next question, you can go a little further and, and ask, uh, if they say no, you can ask, was it ever important to you at any time? I find a lot of times people in the past have had some kind of meaning framework. But if you, if you think about crisis, um, crisis is kind of like a cup. Uh, or our, our beliefs, our worldview, our culture provide a meaningful structure to hold the life, the liquid within the cup. And, you know, I got this analogy from Doug Longstaff, and it's really helped nurses and other staff to, to see our role. Well, sometimes you get a worldview where it cracks because the crisis has come in, the cancer, the diagnosis, and those beliefs that you've had that provided resiliency and a sense of understanding the world suddenly aren't functioning the way they were intended to. Your belief structure, how you think about your, your body, your identity, the world, those beliefs, those convictions either aren't strong enough or they need some kind of reformation. They need some kind of change because this new reality of cancer or death or sickness has cracked the cup that holds your spirit together. You can also think of spirit as sort of like the glow and the illumination that comes from a light bulb. Uh, you have to have a lot of things working together for that glow to work. Mm -hmm. And so when you look at somebody, you say, you know, how's your spirit doing today? Sometimes you can just tell when someone's overall animation, their glow, their warmth, their life is just missing. So when someone's cup is broken, their worldview, or that's leaking the spirit out, they're losing meaning, they're losing inspiration, they're losing joy, they're losing these virtues that they, they believe in, in values. Uh, we don't come along and try to put, like in a, in a porcelain cup, we don't try to put metal. We don't try to put our own belief structure to fix their cup. If they have a plastic cup that's very flexible, we talk about Zen Buddhism being very flexible. Maybe it's not hard and rigid like this. You have beliefs that can jump around everywhere. We just use whatever you have to fit together your worldview and your beliefs so that your spirit can be filled up again so you can get back to that inspiring life that you mm -hmm. desire. Now, that takes on a different role in palliative care, and uh, that would be a different scope um, or, or end-of-life care, perhaps, is, is better said. So that's the first level of, of clinical inquiry is screening. The second level is something called history a spiritual history. And I, I do see a lot of palliative care practitioners use this. And there's some common ones. The most common one is FICA. That's uh, faith. What's your, you know, what beliefs do you hold true? What's your kind of faith community? I is importance. How important is it to you? What about it is important to you? Oh, I get to have a community on Sundays that I go to, or, um, or I get to chant and I get to have incense and that just lifts my spirit up. Another one is a C community. So those community supports, that question overlaps with social models. Um, and A, assist. How can I assist you? 
uh, Fika, you know, it's a little more involved. It's not just one question there. It's more open-ended questions, more of a conversation. And then the third level is what I do and what Angela does and what other spiritual care practitioners do. And that's a full assessment. We're in the process as an association to draft a model of spirituality and care and then base our assessments off of that model. Mm. It actually begins with sacred space, how a person orients themselves physically in the world. And then it moves to intrapsychic space. So how do I relate to myself? Do I have despair? Do I see myself as a burden? Am I trapped? Do I need freedom? Do I have meaninglessness? And then um, interpersonal, how am I relating to others? And then perhaps something called corporate, which is a little different than just an individual practitioner passing through the system. It's this idea that I am divinely in charge of or responsible for the ethos and the spirit of the organization or the community. And we all have that mandate in a way. That's the mission, vision, values of every healthcare system. So the corporate perspective is, it's sort of, I'm taking responsibility for this group to the degree that they're willing to uh, charge me with it. So it's a a, a relational corporate assessment. And then the last one would be assessing for the transcendent. And there are three types of transcendence. If you're having transcendent feelings, it would be something like, I'm feeling angry, disappointed, embarrassed, afraid, anxious. And then transcendent principle would be something like, I'm in despair. I feel meaningless. Mm -hmm. I feel like a burden. I feel trapped, Mm -hmm. right? I'm a prisoner. Uh, And then transcendent person would be more like, I feel like God's angry with me. Mm -hmm. And I find that those three levels have helped me anyway, so that when staff hear any of those issues, they can call us. And we're, we're happy to engage those unknown pieces with them. Yeah. I imagine that the team members themselves have to have a certain level of uh, being attuned to or a sensitivity to the spiritual needs Mm -hmm. of their patients. And so I imagine as a spiritual care practitioner that you are also, you're working towards helping the healthcare team members be more attuned to the healthcare spirituality aspect in their, their own professional lives. Yeah. I, I think now we're getting to that second question that we alluded to about healthcare spirituality. Healthcare spirituality is that the deeper I can go with myself, the deeper I can go with the patient. If I can't go deep with myself, then I have these blocks or I'll miss the opportunity to go deep with the patient. Depth is it's a hard one to categorize, but when I'm deep with the patient, I'm a hundred percent focused on them and nothing else. I'm at my best times, I'm attending to them as a whole person and not just to a slice of category or perspective or number, not just the liver patient, their bill. This is bill. And sometimes our problems make us complicated. So the healthcare system comes in and it says, we will weed this complication out. You are a liver patient. You are bed three, bed four. You are a number. Uh, These movements are legitimate to help with a significant problem. And the problem is that humans are really complicated Mm -hmm. and we're not just complex, but illness makes us complicated. Mm -hmm. And so the unfortunate thing is that a biomedical model can turn into a mechanical model. And we're all trying to get in there because we're all rushed 
to work inside of them and they just feel dehumanized. Mm. So healthcare spirituality is, um, it seems to have these common concepts to it. And when you hear these concepts, I think that your listeners will find out that I already do that. I already know that. And, and we want that kind of sensation. The truth is that when we don't know we have something and we're using it, we're not using it to the fullest of its ability. Are there any takeaways that you feel you would want for other health professionals to know? Typically, there's a conflict of visions. One vision of healthcare is we're there to fix you to get you back to your life. And there's some dignity to that because I'm, I'm not a patient per se. I'm, I'm Matt and I want to get back to my family and my kids and so forth. So I can get behind that kind of hero mentality and that hero archetype. Um, but then there's people who will not get back to their life. This will be their end destination. And there needs to be some, something there for all of us healthcare pr- practitioners, whether you're a physician or whether you're allied health or, med- or uh, nursing care, to include ourselves in the journey without losing differentiated care, but to say that I am helping you, but I am you. And that choice to involve ourselves at that level to feel It's one thing to articulate a feeling, but to feel the feeling, to be in touch with your vulnerability, to be in touch with the sense of shame and and indignity as you are wearing a gown and you're exposed. And as a practitioner, to feel what they feel while still holding on to your role as a Mm -hmm. professional. Mm -hmm. It's a balance and it's a nuance, but it can be done. And I would say that's the main orientation of all of our spiritual health practitioners. We are sitting on the edge of the unknown with them. And I sit with the, in the boat of experience with them. So I, I think that if we can be clear about what is a dignifying approach to someone with personhood, and we can include ourselves in that human journey, we will just naturally raise up the healthcare system a little more. And if people can remember that presence is really effective, presence smooths things over between the staff and the patients. You'll have a really angry patient. Presence and values will help that patient to see that somebody is in there with them. Not just that, but a a spiritual health practitioner who knows their angry side and can relate and be there with you in that anger. I've seen many of those situations turn around where the healthcare team is finding that the patient is more workable and there's a liaison, a reconciliation that can happen. And then finally, I think those three levels of inquiry would be great if people could screen. So it buys us time and includes them in our mission for holistic care. So it's not just mind and body, it's mind, body, soul, spirit, friends, family, it's biopsychosocial, spiritual, all the way through. And if there's one thing I think I think would be really wonderful is if we would just the next patient we see. If we just stopped and we waited with them, you know, waiting is uh, associated with power and hierarchy. So if you're a really important person, the more important person you are, the more other people wait on you. What would it be like to reverse it so that me as the practitioner, I'm waiting on them mm-hmm. and I'm sitting with them eye to eye, making that connection. Just try it. Mm-hmm. Try, try waiting on patients for once. 
They're always waiting on us. Um, so I think just to go back on that, um, there is something really unique about the spiritual care practitioner. Again, almost 90% of what we do is just being with them in that real soulful kind of way that's reflective mm-hmm. and relating to others and connecting. No, thank you very much for sharing that. And it's really powerful to me to hear your description of what you do and who you and your team members are. I, I think I've been really impressed by the uniqueness of our role in spiritual care is it's this hybrid identity. It's both clinical. So we have this psychotherapeutic bent to us. And then we have that pastoral side, priestly, spiritual authority side. And it's it's always attention to describe it to people. It's even attention for us to hold it together. Mm-hmm. And it's but but when the tension is there, you can put things on top of it and build it. Yes. You know, it becomes more like a hammock that we can we can sit in and relax in. And usually if a healthcare system begins to characterize us one way or the other, we see problems. And we see problems on a fundamental level. Patients will they'll notice that too many people are being counselors with them and they didn't they're they didn't sign up for one-on-one therapy. They're here to get healing and get back to their life. And then other people will oversimplify our role and make it into just a religious thing. Oh, call Matt because he's, you know, the ordained minister and he's going to pray with them. Not necessarily. Prayer may not be good for them. Prayer can be both a resource and a stressor, or it could be both, or it could be either. I'm sorry. So there's a lot of misunderstandings about our role. And it seems to be around those two poles. If you lose one of them, Mm-hmm. And you'll run into some issues. I think that hybrid identity has been a big focus for me recently. And I'm very passionate about it. And it's nuanced and not always easy to communicate. And it, it strikes me that there's just so much wisdom that's required. Wisdom, self-knowledge to know not only how to navigate those two roles, but also then to communicate that to the other healthcare team members who may be thinking only in these strict dichotomies or these very narrow definitions of mm-hmm. what your role may, might entail. And so it's also helping to educate the healthcare team around mm-hmm. how uh, the spiritual care practitioners are not just one or the other very narrowly defined roles either. Thank you very much. I, I appreciate your time. And I appreciate the thoughtfulness that you've provided to our conversation here. Thank you for tuning in to the Mac PFD Spark podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the Office for Continuing Professional Development and the Program for Faculty Development at McMaster University's Faculty of Health Sciences. For more information on faculty development, be sure to check out our website at macpfd.ca. That's M-A-C-P-F-D.ca. Here you can find other episodes as well as resources for your personal and professional development. A quick shout out to our sound engineer, Ishan Mania Panda, who has been an amazing asset to our team. Another shout out to Scott Holmes, who composed and supplied us with the music you've been listening to. That brings us to the end of this episode. We hope you've enjoyed it and be sure to tune in for our future episodes.